Open to Joshua 14. We're just going to look at a couple of verses tonight. Joshua 14, 6 through 9. Study we're calling Home Sweet Hope. Joshua 14, 6 through 9. Everywhere I go, people are constantly walking ahead of me in line to join with their family or friends up ahead. They see nothing wrong with it. Maybe you see nothing wrong with it. Don't tell me if you do. I'm old school when it comes to taking cuts in line. It's just wrong. I think I suffer from something called line rage. Now, now wait now. I thought I made that up, line rage, but it's a real thing, and it's being studied at MIT. The professor overseeing the study describes a line as a momentary, involuntary imprisonment. I like that. He jokes, if Moses had an 11th commandment, it would have been, thou shalt not cut in line. In some cities, you can hire people to wait in line for you. In New York City, the going rate is $60 an hour. And people get it, line up to pay it. Would you pay for somebody to wait in line for you? It depends. It would depend on what you're waiting. And, and I think it says, we're not going to get deep into this, but I think it says something uh, about us as to what we would and would not wait in line for. But anyway, there are exceptions to taking cuts. And in our text, we're going to see Caleb, the Old Testament hero, take cuts in line, as it were. Joshua, his friend and the leader of the children of Israel, He's about to begin casting lots to determine the inheritances of the tribes. Caleb breaks ranks and steps forward and asks for the portion already promised to him 45 years earlier by Moses. It's one of those times I have no problem with someone taking cuts because Caleb had already waited long enough. One of the things that strikes you about his zeal is that even though he's waited 45 years, he acts like... Hebron was promised to him only yesterday. Through many discouragements, dangers, and difficulties, Caleb never lost sight of God's promise. It's an example, a powerful example of biblical hope. We use the word hope to describe things that may or may not come to pass. I hope someday I get a Technovorm coffee maker. Actually, I don't want one. I'm just, that's the first thing that popped into my head, so... I know all of you are Googling that right now, and some of you are buying it for me, so please don't. Please, I'd have to give it back. <clears throat> Technovorm. <laughs> Just in case you didn't get that. It's a, it's a, it's a brew, uh, brewing machine that keeps the water at the exact precise temperature uh, when it hits the grounds. It's just, it's an amazing thing. But anyway... Uh, that's just a hope. But the Bible presents hope as a certainty. Let's make a connection between Caleb's 40-year hope and a hope of our own as believers. Maybe this will help us to enter into the story better. The rapture of the church is called our blessed hope. Titus 2.13, we're to be looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The verse is talking about the rapture, which is imminent. It could happen at any moment. Uh, and it says that that is our blessed hope. Now, I got saved in February of 1979. If I'm doing math correctly, that was nearly 40 years ago. No rapture in those four decades. But I still have as my blessed hope 
the rapture. And so do you, because God's word is true. Uh, so Caleb, God had promised him this land, uh, and he knew that he just had to wait for it. Uh, in our case, God has promised to return for us, and it could happen at any moment. Uh, but uh, it, it seems to me a lot of people, uh, especially, well, there are just a lot of Christians today have lost sight of the blessed hope. In fact, it's become fashionable to sort of make fun of the rapture and uh, to, uh, you know, act as if people who still believe, you know, are looking for the rapture are uh, so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good, and there's been a, a shift in thinking. Um, not so much here, but I mean, if you come to church here, that's pretty much all we talk about. Uh, and I, I have no qualms about it because as I tell you every Sunday, 25% of the Bible is prophecy, one out of every four verses. So if you're not talking about Bible prophecy, you're not talking about 25% of the Bible. And so that's a problem. But uh, the blessed hope uh, has been lost and I think it's because people just don't understand that um, it is an inspiring thing to have biblical hope and to get up every morning and know that today is the day that the Lord could return for me. We, we don't have to see anything happen. We're not waiting for any signs. Uh, nothing needs to take place. Uh, and it is a blessed hope. Caleb was certain he would inherit Hebron. And we want to focus on the source of his hope. And so let's look at verse 6. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. Now, about 45 years earlier, um, because it had taken some years to, uh, for the conquest of Canaan, what's happening here, the children of Israel had crossed the Jordan. They'd come into the promised land. Uh, Jericho was their first uh, conquest. It split the land in two, and then they mounted two campaigns, uh, and they destroyed uh, the strongholds of the enemies. But there were still enemies to drive out, but the time had come to divide the land and let each tribe go and, uh, and, and uh, drive out the enemies that were left in their land. And so that's what's happening, the time of the inheritance here. Uh, and 45 years earlier, the Israelites had stood on the verge of entering the Promised Land at Kadesh Barnea, and that's when Moses sent 12 men in to spy out the land. And there's a big debate among scholars as to whether that was of the Lord or whether it was of the flesh. Um, it, it seems the result of it was fleshly. Uh, God had told them to go in. He told them what was going to be there. He told them what to expect. Uh, so there's you know, really no reason to actually go into the land and verify if what God said was true. And it turned out to be a horrible mistake uh, because uh, 10 of the spies exaggerated the dangers and the difficulties. They claimed, for example, that the land was filled with giants when only a small percentage of the population were descended from the Anakim and were really tall guys. Uh, now, sure, they were terrifying, but... Uh, Caleb, later on in this chapter, is going to say, uh, I'm 85 years old. I can't wait to fight some giants. You know, he's like the Rocky of his day. You know, he just keeps having more and more fights. And uh, it, he's a fantastic guy. So uh, Joshua and Caleb, they were the two who gave a good report. 
and they urged the people to press forward by faith and conquer the land, but they were outnumbered and they were overruled by the ten. Because of their unbelief, the Lord told the Israelites that the entire generation over the age of 20 would never enter the promised land. They had this one opportunity to go in, uh, and, and they blew it. Uh, and so God said, you're not, now you're not going in. Your children will go in, but you won't go in. Then they tried to go in, but it was too late, and they suffered a, a, a real setback. Um, the Israelites were made to wander in the wilderness for nearly 40 years while that whole generation died. Joshua and Caleb were the exceptions. After the 40 years, they would enter the land and receive their inheritance, and, and now was that time. Uh, they had entered the land uh, about seven years or so of fighting, and now they were uh, dividing the land. They did it by lot. That's the way they did things in those days. Uh, they trusted that the Lord would choose by lot. And so he says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. Now, Caleb and Joshua stood against the fears of the other spies. It was Caleb's very bad, no good, terrible day. I mean, I don't know if he expected this, uh, when they came back, they were, I think they were 40 days in the land uh, spying things out. Uh, and when they came back and gave this report, uh, it, it was just a bad day. He described the result of the bad report by saying it made the heart of the people melt. That's a great meditation, isn't it? I, I jotted down here, don't be a heart melter. In your encounters with others, concentrate on being an encouragement to their walk. Or if they're not saved... Be an example of Jesus. Think about others. In fact, think more about them than yourself. Your needs or perceived needs are best met by serving others. Uh, it, it should just, just take notice of the fact that we are able, if we're not careful, to make the hearts of people melt uh, by giving essentially a bad report of the Christian life. And um, I... Uh, you, know, you, you hear this all the time in churches, and, but I think it's true. You need to assume that, that people aren't doing as well as you think they are. Uh, I, I'm not saying that, you know, I always hate the person who comes up and says, well, let me take that back. I don't hate anybody. What an idiot. I would hate the situation that, well, it's just an idiotic thing to say. Uh, I don't, I dislike it when people come up and say, hey, how are you? And then I say, oh, I'm doing it. How are you really? You can tell me. That tells me you're the last person I would tell. But anyway, you know, so I don't like that, you know, kind of. But I think you should assume, you, sh you might want to assume that people have things going on in their life that might be troubling to them. Uh, because life is full of trouble. Uh, you know, man is born into trouble, says Job. As sparks fly upward, so is man born into trouble. And, uh, you know, so you don't need to go looking for it. You don't need to force it from people. Uh, but... We want to be careful how we represent the Lord and, and, and be uh, coming across as if we would be willing to help them, willing to pray with them, willing to stand with them, to laugh with them or cry with them, whatever the situation would be, because it's, it's easy to, to melt someone's heart, and um, we don't want to do that. These 10 guys ruined uh, an entire generation of people, 10 guys because of the report they gave, 
prevented the children of Israel from going into the promised land and created a 40-year wandering in the wilderness. And uh, we don't want, uh, on a small scale, to do anything like that. Several times in Scripture, Caleb is described, either by himself or others, as holy or as fully following the Lord. Let's talk about that for a while. If Caleb followed, that means he never got ahead of the Lord. Charles Spurgeon, commenting on this, said, They who traveled before the cloud will soon find other clouds lowering upon them. Those who leave the fiery pillar and will be their own guides shall soon be in the fire without a guide to bring them out again. Spurgeon was talking about the cloud that would lead the children of Israel by day and the fire that would lead them by night. Um, The camp of Israel was wild. So you had the tabernacle in the center and then the tribes uh, camped around the four sides and uh, there was this pillar of fire at night over the tabernacle and a cloud by day. And every once in a while it would just move and then they would pack up and they would follow it until it stopped again and then they would camp there. And so Spurgeon is playing on that and he's saying, hey, you don't want to get ahead of the cloud because other clouds will appear and then you won't know where you'll be in a fog, basically. And you don't want to get ahead of the fire, otherwise you'll get burned. And so uh, it's, it's a, if you're going to be a follower, then you need to be led. And we, we often talk about the leading of the Holy Spirit, uh, waiting upon the Lord, those kinds of things. And uh, it's just something that you, you have to be committed to, uh, you know know the scriptures, spend time in prayer, uh, and then decide that you're going to, on the one hand, do what God says to do definitely in the word. And then in the other areas of life, you're going to be led. You're going to wait to be led uh, by the Lord. You're not led by need. You're not led by urgency. You're led by the Lord. Uh, If you want to know what that looks like, you want to know anything about the Christian life, (laughs) you look to Jesus. And, um, you know, he he simply waited on his father. Uh, there were times like Lazarus. The, Lazarus was sick. Uh, Jesus was friends with Lazarus. He was his buddy. Uh, him and his sisters, you know, they had great times together. But the Lord had him wait uh, so that Lazarus would be fully dead, definitely dead. Not just mostly dead, but all the way dead when he visited him so that he could raise him from the dead. And so, um, you know, we um, sometimes have our own understanding of what is urgent, what needs to be done, what has to be done right now. Uh, And I'm not saying we should delay helping people unless we have a clear leading from the Lord in that direction. But but we learn from the Lord that we really do need to be led because God has plans and purposes that we don't understand. And and so um, it's amazing how much we think for ourselves and, uh, and then apply that to, to the Lord as if he's the one doing the thinking when we're really not waiting on him. So let's wait on the Lord and do what he tells us to do. Nothing more, nothing less. The emphasis on the words fully and wholly implies you can follow haltingly or distantly. Israel's first king, Saul, followed haltingly, we might say as an example. He was kind of on again, off again in his service to the Lord. The Apostle Peter followed distantly, at least he did the night he denied Jesus three times. And so it causes us to ask, are there areas in which I am hesitating to follow the Lord? Is there an area where I am still following afar off? On that very bad day, God gave Caleb this word. 
It's in verse 9. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot is trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Caleb had gone from 40-year-old warrior to 40-year wanderer just like that. It wasn't something he brought on himself. It was something that resulted from the disbelief of others he was in fellowship with. He had been despised, hated, threatened by his peers for doing and saying what is right. They wanted to kill he and Joshua. For the next four decades, he would live in a culture of death, watching as everyone over 20 died in the wilderness. He knew that once the next generation entered the land, he'd still need to fight, even though he'd be in his 80s by then. Was he discouraged? Did he get depressed? It doesn't seem so. He had the word that the Lord had spoken to him, and it was his hope. Discouragement's a powerful enemy to your Christian walk. Depression is a reality even among Christians. Both are reasons why it's important to remember that you too have the word which the Lord has spoken to you. Now, the Lord has spoken to you on at least three levels. First, he has spoken to every believer in the precepts and principles of the word of God, the Bible. You know this. The land, that's wherever you find yourself. It's your home, it's your office, your school, it's your marriage and family, it's your job, it's your career, it's your classes, your classmates, your teachers. It's your life. Your life is the land. Uh, the promised land, by the way, not a picture of heaven, not at all. Sometimes those of you who remember the old hymns, there are a lot of hymns that speak of the promised land as if it was heaven, but uh, there's no battles in heaven, there's no war in heaven, there's no conflict, there's no enemies. Uh, the promised land is a picture of the Christian life. And so your life is this promised land. God has spoken his word to you in each of those areas to tell you how to act and react. There uh, are lots of, there's lots of information in the Bible about how to conduct yourself in the house of God, for example, about what husbands should do and what wives should do and how children should react and employers and employees and all that. And this is not unknown to people. Uh, it may be disbelieved, it may be ignored, but it's not unknown. And so God has told you these things and you should be able to measure your life by them and see how you measure up. Uh, his word should give you hope. And it will when you follow it with your whole heart. You may not want to do the things that God wants you to do. Uh, you know, ladies, you may not want to submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Uh, I know I wouldn't want to, knowing what I know about those guys. But anyway, uh, uh, employers, employees, I mean, think of all the problems that there are in the workplace. I would guess that 90% of you are having trouble at work of some kind or another. Uh, maybe that's a high percentage, but you know, it's not unusual to have trouble in the workplace. And, uh, and, and God speaks to these things and uh, basically tells us in all of these situations, if you want an easy cheat on how to get by in every situation, the, the answer is to uh, do what Jesus would do, to act like Jesus, to be Jesus incarnate in that situation and, and bring... Uh, love and grace to bear on your situation. But so this is the easy level. It's like, you know, what should I do? Um, here's what you should do. 
Identify what the situation you're in. Is this a husband situation, an employer situation, an employee situation? Let's see what the Bible has to say about that and how you measure up to that. Now, second, God speaks to us on what we might call a personal level. That's when you're reading his word and you get that wonderful sense that the verse or verses are speaking directly to you. Or someone shares a verse or verses with you that go directly to your situation and put it into its spiritual perspective. A lot of times people will tell me that throughout the day, uh, you know, in the morning they turned on the radio and they heard a verse and then and they were driving in their car and they heard the same verse and then so-and-so was teaching on it that afternoon and then they read it on a billboard and, you know, and, and, and you know, God just seems to have a way of bringing you his word in a personal way. Uh, it's possible for this to occur because God's word is alive and it's powerful. Often when a person is seeking biblical counsel, I will ask them what they've been reading in God's word or hearing taught from God's word. I sometimes forget this uh, because I'm such a knucklehead, but this is always a good place to start, is to assume that because God loves you uh, so much that he really is trying to communicate with you, you just uh, haven't received it yet. And so a lot of times they'll say, hey, is there anything that you've come across? And a lot of times people say, well, you know, as a matter of fact, I was reading this or I was listening to this and, and um, it, it did kind of strike me, but I'm not sure what it means. Um, more times than not, the hope they need for what they're going through has already been spoken to them. It just needs to be uh, brought out. And then third, God continues to speak to us on what we could call a prophetic level. The Bible is prophetic. Certainly when a verse or verses come alive in my heart, it is prophetic. You've probably had experiences like that at church, moments when you know God has brought something home to you. Uh, in addition, there are times God speaks to you more directly. It might be through a waking vision or a spiritual dream. It might be through the exercise of the gift of prophecy in a meeting of the saints as someone shares a word or a scripture. Uh, we believe that there is this contemporary, uh, spontaneous ability for God to be able to communicate his word. We don't mind this. Uh, we're not afraid of this because whatever is shared must be judged against scripture. And it must, of course, align with what God has already said in the Bible. So whenever you start talking about God being prophetic, people take a big step back and they say, wait a minute, you know, now you're getting into weird Pentecostalism. Uh, and there's no doubt that there are uh, Pentecostal excesses. Uh, I've had people over the years prophesy things that just didn't come true. You know, uh, There was a, a lady in our church years ago who came up to me and said that we were going to buy the Hanford Sentinel building. Uh, well, at the time, it was, uh, it was an old dilapidated market that had been uh, uh, empty for a long time. I forget the name of it, but it was just a big empty building. And uh, she said, hey, the Lord showed me we're going to buy that building, and that's going to be the home of Calvary Chapel. And uh, then, of course, it became the home of the Hanford Sentinel. Uh, and so uh, we took up stones. Uh, no, we didn't. <laughs> Luckily, we don't live in the Old Testament. Uh, because that turned out to be a false prophecy. She had some other false prophecies as well. But uh, So we think of that, and, and it doesn't seem to bother anybody when people have false prophecies in certain circles. You know, they can say whatever they want, and people go, oh, wow, wow, God is speaking. Prophecy. 
Well, it, it just it just that it never happens. So uh, apparently it's not prophecy, and and we need to judge that. So we're uh, at the same time more mellow, but also more concerned. If somebody says they have a prophecy or a vision or something, well, we want to talk about it. We want to figure out, is this the kind of thing that God would, would even say to someone? Is, it, is there a character to it that speaks of the love of God and the grace of God? Is it in alignment with the Word of God, or is it contrary to the Word of God? Uh, and so as long as what is shared is judged against Scripture and aligns with what God has already said in the Bible, we don't have a problem with it. But a word of prophecy or a word of wisdom has its place in the overall scheme of the word the Lord has spoken to you, and it can be very precious and powerful. Uh, when we did our 30th anniversary video, we, I told the story of uh, the Lord speaking to us prophetically about coming up here, and um, you know, so God still does that today. Caleb bursts onto the scene, he's 85, takes cuts in line, he demands his inheritance, you can tell that every day for 45 long years, he lived with the hope of the word he had been given by God. Four decades of wandering had not dampened his spiritual zeal. If and when you find yourself discouraged or even depressed, you probably need to return to the word that the Lord has spoken to you. Nothing else will give you hope. Discover or rediscover that word from God. It's usually a verse or verses you will read today or tomorrow might be a verse or verses you've noted in the margin of your Bible that were God's encouragement to give you hope. might be a word of prophecy, once given or still to come. Maybe you have a life verse to encourage you. Some people have this. I don't. I'd like to have a life verse, but God never gave me one. So, uh, but some people have one verse that just, you know, they really cling to. That's great. Uh, oftentimes, this won't change your situation. Things may not get better outwardly. In fact, things might get worse. One thing uh, I like to do is remind people that things could get worse before they get better. Uh, there's no use having false hope. We live in a fallen world. We fight uh, tremendous enemies at great cost sometimes. Uh, you know, and uh, just because a person, I, I've seen it too often, especially in marriages, you know, people, they're not really walking with the Lord the way they should, and their marriage gets shaky, and then they get back with the Lord, and they assume that God, they almost blame God. It's kind of like God brought us marriage problems so that we would get back to Him, and, and everything would be copacetic, and um, that's not really the way it works. You know, God has just been ignored, and He's been reaching out, uh, and then the, the people, because they ignore the Lord, they end up in... Uh, situations that they shouldn't be in, uh, and uh, complex situations that, that are contrary to what God had for them in the first place. And marriages don't always get better just because people repent of their own backsliding. Uh, it, it, sometimes marriages still fail. And so I have the unenviable job of telling people when they come in for marriage counseling, usually the, it's one or the other, the husband or the wife comes in, uh, solo at first, I have to say, hey, you know, it's wonderful that you're back with the Lord. That's where you need to be. Uh, but this doesn't mean that your marriage is going to be saved. And, and people, yeah, I understand that, but they, it, you really don't um, because, you know, it, you're holding out that hope. And so things can get worse. Uh, let's be realistic. Let's be honest with people. 
it's still all about Jesus and getting with him and being with him and loving him. Um, the word the Lord has spoken to you will radically alter your perspective. Inwardly, you'll rejoice in the Lord as you enjoy his presence in the midst of either your problems or your prosperity. You'll have the certain hope of a pilgrim wanderer on this earth headed home to your heavenly inheritance. And one day you will step forward and claim it from your Joshua, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.